you know, in regards to like anybody that wants to farm or getting get into gardening, it's like this is what we're meant to do. Some people say I don't have a green thumb. That is nonsense, man. It's nonsense. You have that. You have it in you. Mm. All our fan, all our ancestors were farming the land. Or, we wouldn't be here if they weren't farming. No, yeah, it would, yeah. There's no such thing as saying, you know, a couple hundred years ago, I don't have a green thumb. No, you know? no, yeah, no, yeah. We all have it within us. Peace, everyone. Welcome to Masters of Ceremony. This is your host, Andrew Ascari-Poor, also known as Fifth God. On today's episode, we have the ever-elusive, the multi-talented David Noriega. David, or blank as most of me and my homies know him by, has been one of my closest friends for well over a decade now. I've seen him grow from being a rock and jazz bassist to becoming one of the dopest music producers on the New York hip-hop scene, to becoming a full-time organic farmer and eventually leaving everything behind to start a new life and family in the countryside of Maine. In this episode, we discuss David's earliest musical memories with his father, how his life changed when I introduced him to hip-hop back when we were teenagers, using his voice as a weapon against a corrupt system of injustice, how a terrible car accident and the medicine of ayahuasca led him to become a full-time farmer. We speak about the no-till farming method, permaculture, uh, reconnecting to, to the land and the importance in that, and the joy of fatherhood. We recorded this episode in a beautiful wind harp in the countryside of New Hampshire while we were spending some time there during the summer solstice weekend. And for those who would like to see this beautiful landscape, follow me on Instagram at Fifth God. I got some photos up on there. Or if you're listening to the audio version of this episode, please watch the YouTube video as well so you can get to see this beautiful contraption we recorded this show in. It was easily one of my favorite episodes, and I hope you guys enjoy. Thank you for listening. Peace. All right. David Noriega. Also known as Blank yeah. Noriega. Welcome to Masters of Ceremony, man. It's a pleasure to be here, man. Yeah, wow. For those who are um, listening to this audio and for those who are watching this video, we are in Hopkinton, New Hampshire. Uh, we had a little getaway weekend uh, on this summer solstice weekend. Mm -hmm. And we are actually recording this podcast inside of a wind harp, which... I've never heard of and uh, for those listening it's basically a big structure that you sit inside of that is probably I don't know like 25 feet or 20 feet tall yeah, yeah. and is a harp that is played when the wind blows through it and it makes this really cool ringing resonance it's like a sound bowl yeah exactly We're in a sound bowl yeah, Pretty it's like sweet. one of those crystal singing balls. Um, really cool to be recording this episode here. I'll uh, take some pictures and share some footage of this. You guys can check out on Instagram and all that. And uh, we are on a farm, as you can hear, the various animals <laughs> in the background. <laughs> and I think it's very fitting because although David is an incredible musician, uh, one of my closest friends for the past 
decade now, longer actually. Lifetimes. Um, <laughs> lifetimes for sure. Although he is such a man of many talents, he is a farmer before anything else yeah. nowadays. Nowadays, yeah. Yeah, a farmer and a father. <laughs> Not much music going on today, but yeah, it's just how life kind of, yeah, you know. Just yeah. going with the going with the ride, man. Of course. Eventually, of course. eventually the music will come back, but right now it's a daughter and farm yeah. life. You know? Yeah, most important. And the yeah. thing is, um, the people who know us know, and maybe the people who will get to know you will see, is that you created enough music over the past ten years to. <laughs> I'm still sending beats, bro. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Blank is the like silent hip hop producer within my circle. He's the one who is just like working on the farm, growing veggies, but still making beats and getting placements on different albums <laughs> and is still supporting the crew with, yeah, with that fire, man. So from the country to the to the to the streets, bro. <laughs> you know? Exactly, man. Blank recently moved to Maine from uh, you know, from where he was originally living in Long Island, New York, mm -hmm. close to me. We grew up together. And uh for those who don't know, we basically were partners in crime when it came to making music, making my debut album, The Life Tape, man. for life, for beyond life. the music, yeah, of man. course. And um, it's really been such an honor to be able to witness you grow, to witness you go through your own transformation, your own healing process, mm -hmm. your own maturation. And um, I would love if we can kind of just start at the beginning as I have with some of the other guests as well. Yeah, man. Specifically, how you were raised and also specifically your early musical influence because mm -hmm. uh, you were someone, when I met you, you weren't even listening to hip-hop. You were a jazz yeah. and rock guy. Rock and, yeah, yeah. And you were uh, amazing at the bass from day one since I knew you. From speaking to your father and getting to know him, he's always said that you were killer on the bass from a young age. So what was it when you were young that got you into music in the first place? Uh, well, I guess just being around my dad, who just was playing in bands throughout my whole life. Mm. Always every morning before work, sitting on the sitting on the couch, playing the guitar, jamming all the time. Um I guess something that was important was he never pushed it on me. Mm. Like, he was never like, oh, like, I want you to play the guitar. I want you to be this. He was just, he was just, he brought the essence of music into my life so mm. gracefully. And uh, I guess it just made it that much more enjoyable mm. when I started, you know, rather than, you know, like some parents are like, oh, like I'm I'm this, so you have to be this. Mm, of course. And my 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 dad kind of had the had the uh, vision of just like I'm gonna kind of like how I am with Andy's right now. Like I'm gonna yeah. farm. I'm gonna show her this lifestyle. Mm -hmm. But she may want to be she may want to be a podcast. Fucking you know, <laughs> yeah, like yeah, I don't know, yeah, man. Yeah, she yeah, may want to be uh, she may want to live in the city and be yeah. a doctor. Like I don't yeah. you know I don't know, but. At least I'm building a foundation, and I feel like my dad did that for me with music. Mm, of, yeah, there was no pressure in the no household. No pressure, man. No yeah. pressure, and and uh, I can I can I can think back right now of the first moment of playing an instrument, and uh, it was it was um, on my dad's guitar. It was it was just it was always it was always out. That mm. was that was another thing. His guitars were always out. <laughs> yeah, and. I just remember seven-year-old me gravitating towards this guitar every other day and 
just just strumming along, you know, just yeah. playing along. And I was naturally playing the guitar like a bass. Mm. Did you even know that? At I the didn't time? even know. Yeah. yeah, I didn't even know. Like I would listen to music and I would literally play the guitar like a bass. Like I would hear the bass line before I would hear the guitar, the lyrics, the drums. It was just like the bass was just like within me, I feel like, yeah. you know. So I remember playing I remember learning by ear, seven years old, within the first couple of days of just like playing around this guitar. I learned Smoke on the Water by myself mm -hmm. by ear. Yep. My dad never wanted to show me. Like that <laughs> that's kind of like why it was so enjoyable for me to like come into music was because I was able to kind of gravitate towards it on my mm. own time. Yeah. And uh yeah, I remember playing Smoke on the Water. Dun, 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 dun. Mm -hmm. And uh, my dad walked into the room one day and he's like, he was like, oh, let me show you the guitar part because I was playing the guitar. But I kept playing the bass line. And my dad was just like, well, I guess you're a bass player. And within, <laughs> within the next week, he bought me like a nice, nice little, little kid bass. And wow. we were off like that, man. We were, we wow. were, we were jamming. Man, since a, I was seven, eight years old, bro. Wow. You know, as a child, um, especially uh, as someone who's not the greatest with instruments, uh, did it just feel like it just naturally came to you? Like it was nothing. Like, it was or like did it take learning at all. No, it was it was like it was like I've done it before. Mm. Like it was like an extension of me, yeah. you know. And uh, and it's it's interesting because I feel that way with all instruments and all music like mm -hmm. now i'm a drummer now i'm i play ukulele i play guitar a little bit yeah. um i make beats yeah. i rap i yeah. can sing and it's just like i feel like music was just like embedded in my dna mm. you know yeah um so yeah it, I, it never really took much learning mm. more so just like tapping into like what was already within of course you know? i was just telling uh, some friends who took the ride up with me up here that uh, you are the only producer I know, and I know many producers, but you're, you're one of the only producers I know who like, I got to see them first starting out, you know? Yeah. But I always say that Blank's first beats were fire <laughs> off the bat. Like, they were not trash yeah. struggle beats. Like, Thank you, man. you know, they maybe were not as polished as they are now, but they were always well-crafted and had uh, a certain spirit and energy in them. Yeah, yeah. And um, well, it's interesting because I never, I didn't feel that way with beats, mm -hmm. like because I, you know me, I was never good with computers, bro. Yeah. You told yeah. me everything about computers, <laughs> yeah, and uh, you know, you brought hip hop into my life, yeah. So it was like learning a new language, mm. you know, and that it, I guess I should say that's the one thing that didn't really come naturally, mm -hmm. and I had to work at it. Yeah, I had to work at it. Yeah. And um, and it was more so not the music aspect of it. It was more so like the the computer aspect. Yeah, of it. navigating the software. navigating the software. Yeah, that was like the hardest part. And uh, um, I remember Goon's crib, man. You know, like we had <laughs> we had the we had the computer set up in there, and we'd be mm -hmm. blazing it all day, every yeah. day, and like every day, every day. Instead of going to parties with them, bro, I was in the I was in there mm. making beats, beat after beat after beat, no matter how shitty it was, no matter how it sounded, yeah. just kind of crafting my relationship with the uh, the program. There was many times that because I started out on the SP four hundred four, as yep, you know, me and you both mm -hmm. we did, yeah, we did that together, and uh, 
then Fruity Loops came into my life, and that was just a whole other <laughs> realm, bro. Yeah. And like I had to relearn beat making pretty mm -hmm. much. And um, yeah, that didn't really come as natural, but yeah, you caught on though, man. Yeah, I caught on. And yeah. especially, it was impressive for me because you're someone who is so hands on. You know, you're playing guitar, you're playing bass, yep. and then you're going straight to just. Uh, a laptop mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> sampling yeah you know? sampling that but was a I whole think, other thing i think yeah. that was key in your your development and also your transition into beat making was that you knew samples man yeah you knew samples oh, yeah. and new records well because that's another thing I, I mean i've been putting records on a record table since uh birth bro yeah, you know yeah. literally birth yeah man. your pops always had vinyl My in the car right? always had vinyl always had a turntable and uh yeah just i always had access like most of my sp404 beats was from my dad's yeah, records yeah, you I know remember. so yep. uh it was like it was like revisiting my childhood through beat making you yeah. know which was really a special special time in life of course um mm. when you started getting into hip-hop when me and you first met when i was like 14 or 15 you were around the dancing same with the devil bro yeah me dancing with the devil immortal <laughs> technique and i was like you know what really got me into hip-hop bro was like the storytelling aspect mm. of it like i was still like even when you showed me hip-hop i was like i don't know man like it's not it's not like jazz it's not like rock you know mm -hmm. but like when you because like i was listening to the shit my sister was listening to on yeah. mtv bro yeah, and like of course. the crap and like when you showed me that bro i was like whoa like there is something special about this music mm -hmm. like the storytelling and just like the vibe of the heavy drums and the heavy sounding beats and yeah. heavy sounding samples. I love you know, it's as as much as I am into the light, I like dark I like dark ass <laughs> shit. Yeah, man. man. Like Anyone dark, who knows your music knows that. I like man. dark like yeah. I don't know. I, I it it helped me embrace like my shadow self mm -hmm. hip hop. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh yeah, like you show me Wu Tang clan. From there it was all it was all uphill, I should say, not yeah. downhill. It was all uphill, like yeah. from Nas to yeah, uh, you went deep on the, deep. the East Coast, man. Yeah, yeah, and everything beyond as well. Yeah, yeah. Wow, and it's it's crazy to hear you even say, um, "I wasn't into hip hop or this or that," because ever since I've known you, all our relationship has been outside of all the other beautiful aspects has been centered around hip hip hop. Yeah, hip hop has been like the driving consciousness of our of brotherhood. Our, yeah, man. You know, for sure. And um, it's it's crazy to hear that as well, because even though you're such a musician and and know about so many other forms of music. People in the streets, like yeah. all of our Brooklyn homies, mm -hmm. all of the other homies from New York, they hear Blank Noriega and they think of Boom Bat. Man. Yeah, yeah. It's the first thing they think of. Boom Bat beats, traditional, uh, just real traditional hip-hop sounds. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I thought it was so beautiful to see you express yourself through the hip-hop medium of production and not only be making like, you know beats that were similar to like jazz only or rock only you know but you really took on an east coast hip-hop sound yeah which is so dope man yeah and um i guess that's just what naturally because i'm from the east coast yeah it's just like it was just like i naturally embodied that yeah. you know like it's really about like where you're from you know mm. and like that's where we're from so yeah. it was just like 
even when the trap music was coming out and people were starting to shift, like, you know, Ill Habits basically split up yeah. because of just they wanted to go that route. And I was still in, like, in in the boom bap realm mm-hmm. of, like, making music that, to not to say trap music isn't making a difference, but music that uh, is, like, encapsulating a time period, mm-hmm. you know? Yes. But at the same time, remembering where hip-hop really came from you know what i mean so like having a modern day twist on it you know a bit yeah yeah speaking on that man you know uh when i went away to college well we're we're making music in high school kind of just beginning at the end of my high school time you were still in high school yeah i go away to college in connecticut uh just for one year end up coming back but during that year, uh, the homies you were working with, as you just stated, you know, you guys kind of just went different directions and you really went inward into your own path mm-hmm. beyond music, beyond hip hop, into a spiritual path yeah. of uh, wanting to shift some of your life. And ironically, of course, at the same exact time, I was going through something similar. Yeah. And uh, when I decided to come back to Long Island after my freshman year of college and we start to like, really reconnect again. Yep. We just completely blocked out even most of our homies. People we're still friends with today, but we, like, me and you, I remember, even after knowing each other for a couple years, we honed in, man. I remember hanging out together every single day. Yeah, man. And really doing, like, visualization practices. That's how I look at it now, you know. It wasn't like we were sitting, meditating, you know. But we were talking for hours every day about what we wanted, man. I mean, the fifth tape was was in the works back then bro, yeah 2013 <laughs> man didn't come out until 2019 <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 i mean i think that's something that not everyone knows so yeah. for those who um don't know what we're referring to when we say the fifth tape the fifth tape was and is a debut album from me and my brother blank who we worked on this project for five, six years officially, but as we're saying, we had a vision for it yeah. from from the jump. Yeah. And uh we really took our time on it. Mm-hmm. And you know let and, me... we, and the and the crazy part is we were making some banging records. Yeah. While that was all Yeah. A lot Goomba of people don't Mick. know. Yeah, Goomba Mick, all the miscellaneous uh preconceived misconceptions. Uh, preconceived misconceptions. We're talking about some Iron Chef records right now. All the miscellaneous Records you produced for for Watts uh, and for Radamiz and for History mm-hmm. and uh, for Madwiz. And still for working on my own projects too. Yeah. From Auras to uh, Light. To Light. To just, uh, you know, the beats you, cr- you were cracking out. Removing all obstacles. Yeah. Yeah. So I think uh, a lot of people don't know how deep your discography goes. <laughs> and it's like... Yeah, that's because not and all of it. there's still a lot in the vault, bro. So much, yeah. <laughs> of course, not everyone knows because a lot of it's in the vault. But uh, you got over, like, 11 projects under your belt, maybe more. Mixed, mastered, yeah. produced. Yeah. I would like to touch on just, like, the reason why I got into rapping. Yeah, please. Please. So, like, I never wanted to be a rapper. Like, I always wanted to be behind the boards and... uh I remember during the first Ill Habits project, which is self-titled Ill Habits, mm-hmm. um, there was just always these like empty spaces that I felt on the project that like, you know, Domus Logic and uh, Age verses weren't filling the space enough. And I was, 
And it was always like, I would make beats, you know, I would make beats that were three minutes long and they would fill out whatever they felt they needed to fill out. And there would always be some extra time on, mm. at the end of a beat or something like that. So they were just like, start rapping, you know, <laughs> yeah, they like, encouraged you. yeah, they yeah. like encouraged, push me to start rapping and, and start telling my own story. And, um, I was always like pretty afraid of like speaking in front of people and mm. but like hip hop helped me break out of that fear, you know, like yeah. little by little just finding my own voice and mm. uh I always liked writing so that was helpful but yeah like I guess finding my voice was the hardest part about it but yeah every track track after track after track it just mm -hmm. got more and more comfortable and I really fell in love with the rapping. Yeah. Um, that was something you had to work out as well, and and eventually you be, you became at home with just stepping to the mic and yep. and just rawly expressing what what you were feeling at that time. Yeah, you're someone who I think specifically we're gonna speak about your rapping. You're someone who always expressed what was on their mind at that exact point in their life, like. Anything you put on the mic was something you were going through yeah. that day. Almost. Or the world was going through. Yes, exactly. Exactly. We, yeah. were, we were speaking about it last night, like a caps, encapsulating a time period, you mm -hmm. know? And it's like almost like putting putting the the writing on the on the stone, bro. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. the, these are songs that my daughter's going to hear one day and, you know, she's going to hear a different perspective on that mm. point in history you know yeah and where you were at and where i was as, yeah. a, as a man you know yeah. young, young man yeah you're someone who um even outside of the music you've always had a deep um concern and care for the state of this earth for the state of the collective not only humanity but all life mm -hmm. and um i think there was a point in your life where uh, you took on a lot of that weight. You took on a lot of that grief, a yeah, lot of man. the suffering, a lot of... Um, a lot of empathy, bro. A lot of empathy, man. And it really came through th through the music and projects like Auras and projects like Light. Mm -hmm. You know, you really not only expressed your frustration with society, but also expressed your own shadow side as you describe hip-hop exposed you to. Mm -hmm. I mean, the record Shadow Self... You know, the first that was the first music video we did for you. Yeah, man. That was the first music video ever. <laughs> Shout out to Team Backpack for yeah. posting that and oh, helping yeah. that go viral, man. Yeah, that I was remember crazy. that, dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. Everyone listening, please listen to at least the Project Light. That's like what you can find um, of Blank's music right now and some other stuff as well. It's on but, Spotify, uh, yeah. Yeah, but uh, yeah, man. What was it as well? I would love for you to go a little bit deeper into that as well, since you're speaking about your the rapping side of things. Mm -hmm. um, how did rapping and that expression of your frustration of just like society, how did that serve as medicine for you? If it did serve as medicine for you, I think it did because I was a witness to yeah. your transformation. But how was that uh, process of just having that release? I feel you know, like, the truth has to come out one way or another. Because mm, I'm willing to risk my life for all my sisters and brothers. <laughs> we need Jesus. Mm -hmm. you, oh, man. I remember, you know, like, I feel, you know, I feel like, I feel like there's so much false information, man, you know. And I needed to be a channel for the truth. 
you know, and I guess that was the medicine of it for me was just like being able to ex- to to explain my point of view on what was going on mm. in the world or what is going on in the world. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, you're someone who um certainly could not hold their tongue when they were seeing an injustice. Yeah, like happen. I'm I'm ready to die, bro. Like I'm ready to die. Like I said, like that's from uh the first song on Auras. Mm-hmm. Uh that that little line I just spit. Like yeah. I'm literally willing to risk my life for everybody. Yeah. Not not just my sisters. When I say sisters and brothers, I'm talking about the birds, the goats over there, you know? Yeah. Like I'm I'm talking about everybody, every being. Of course. And uh I felt like music was my way of uh doing that, you know? Yeah. Cuz the the truth is scary to those who are trying to keep you controlled, 100%. you know? So it's like your your voice is is a powerful weapon bro Mm, you know more powerful than most people know and uh yeah it's just i was able to like really especially during auras bro like i was feeling christ conscious man things were downloading bro and like you know did 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 christ just sit back and let things happen when 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 Mm -hmm. you know when when times were troubling like nah man he stood up and he stood up for his people and uh that's that's just what I what I continue to do. Yeah, you know, to this day. I feel like uh, you're someone who, if you're not expressing your your authentic voice, then you're not at peace within yourself. Definitely, man. And um, and that's why for 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 me, like edu- the education system never worked out, man, because yeah. they're trying to mold you to become this like obedient servant. Of and course, I, you know. I just want to be free. I just want to be able to express the truth, you know, and not sit back and just accept lies, yeah. accept false information that's just keeping people oppressed. Yeah. You know? Yeah, completely, man. And I feel like uh, to circle back to that spiritual state of reflection and healing that we were going through around our early 20s and late late teens, you know, 1920 mm-hmm. or so, um, that's when we both really began to uh walk the walk the walk you know like that's when the diet changed exactly that's when because for years we were we were studying metaphysics we were we were doing yoga we were on the path but we weren't we had one foot we in one foot on out the path, man, you know like <laughs> we, we, we were, were still we were running along <laughs> the path not exactly on it you yeah, know? yeah but um i would say around this time when we really locked in as you alluded to we both served as support for actually beginning to embody everything we were studying and learning. Yeah. And uh, we're still attempting to do that now. Yeah. But um, it's a lifelong process. Man. Yeah, completely. Mm-hmm. But for you, um, speaking about just using your voice as a weapon, for using your uh, body as a response to stop all of this misinformation stop supporting the false lies that society provides to us Mm -hmm. as young men and women uh to see you actually take a step towards changing your own physical health and to establishing a connection with the land and to begin farming and to begin becoming Mm self-sufficient to me that was the most rebellious thing you could have done against the system you know more than holding a sign or, or doing anything you know Yo, let me say something real quick. Dude. <laughs> if we want to start a revolution, let's buy some land, 
Let's start growing our own food. Let's start building our own communities. Let's start creating our own government. And I don't even want to call it a government. Let's just start living free, you know? Mm. Like, we could go out in the streets and go crazy and break buildings and break glass while they're dropping off bricks on the corner for you to do so. But really, what's going to change the world is, like, what we did this weekend, bro. Mm. You know, drinking medicine with each other. Of course. And uh, eating good food together, growing food together. And, uh, yeah, like the rioting, the protesting, that stuff has effect to a degree. But we we need to start thinking about, especially African-Americans, man. We need, they need to start thinking about creating their own communities. Mm, Of course. And because uh, they're not, these people, if they're even people, I don't know. I don't know how people could be doing this kind of division and terrible things that they, they're, they're manipulating and whatever, whatever. They're just doing terrible stuff. And I think African communities need to start building themselves up yeah of course I think from that, the ground up literally i think that's what we're from seeing the ground I think up. that's what we're seeing with um a lot of the move- movements that are going on currently yeah. it's all steps in that direction of yeah. being more self-sufficient being more supportive of, of one course. another of course. the media and, is only uh, showing you the protests and the riots of course but like yeah of course yeah i mean i just wanted to throw that out there 100 you know? man 100 percent. and i mean it all starts with your original statement of if you want to actually begin a revolution you have to return to the basic tenets of this land, yeah, man. of the earth. You are somebody who embodies that because if there was no supermarkets, if there was no gas stations, if there was no everything being provided to you, mm-hmm. would majority is, of the population Which is a form be, of control. Exactly, exactly. Control. Would we be able to be self-sufficient without these systems in place no most people do not know how to grow a vegetable yeah most people do not know how to hunt mm-hmm. and um for you beginning your journey wow the wind harp is yeah. going beautifully right now <laughs> wonder if if this is if being picked up, up on the microphone it but either way <laughs> we're receiving it but um what was you know beyond everything you just stated i know that's everything that motivated you to really get into farming but what were some of the shifts that you began to feel happen within, not only on a physical level from eating more wholesome foods, but what type of shifts began to occur when you started to just get your hands back into the earth? Because you're someone who you never farmed growing up. No. Me and you changed our diets. We became, you know, partners in supporting each other to eat healthy and have a healthy lifestyle. And, uh, you know, we encourage each other to begin farming. You mm-hmm. really, you know, took it. As, as a life path and I saw some shifts occur in you dramatically and still am but what did you feel as you got your hands back into the soil mm. home mm. I felt I felt like kind of like music like how music came so naturally I felt that it also you know it also was just as natural for me um but quick quick shout out man because if it wasn't for your parents garden and your parents you know deck with all their herbs and and pots and just like (laughs) bro like that was a huge 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 influence to me bro Mm. because my parents weren't doing that stuff you know so coming over your house and just 
spending some time in your backyard yeah. looking at these herbs that I had no idea about, you know? <laughs> yeah. But there was a gravitation there that I didn't really realize at the time mm-hmm. until later, you know? Of course. Of course. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you went you went deep. It's not like you started just plant. I mean, you started slow, of course, but um, I would say within one season, you had full-on plot. My whole backyard was, yeah. yeah. It went from a four-by-four little raised bed garden to my whole parents' backyard yeah. turning into a garden that I was literally feeding myself for, you know, eight months out of the year. Yeah, yeah. You know, and for me, it was like... I switched, I, I, like like we said, we, ch- we changed our diet and we were vegan. We we, we chose to go vegan for mm-hmm. a while, which I think was super necessary. Incredibly even though necessary. I'm not vegan anymore. Likewise. Uh, it was incredibly healing. Those, those se- I think it was six or seven years that. Yeah, for me it was five. Uh, yeah, five I think so I was like, around the same for I you. think it was around six or seven years for mm-hmm. me being vegan. And, um, but. It really came from just like what a better way for me to know where my food was coming from mm. than grow to, to than to grow it myself, you know. So that's really where it came from, and then it just kind of trickled trickled into many different aspects of yeah. the reasons why, you know. Mm. Yeah, you've always been a producer, man. Whether it was beats or, yeah. or beats, <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, real talk and. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think especially around that time, not only were you becoming self-sufficient and growing your own food and being able to feed you and your family through just this backyard plot, I feel like you showed so many people through sharing your story on social media like you used to so often, mm-hmm. showing people how simple it is to if you have a backyard. You know, we know many people live in apartments and places mm-hmm. where they don't have mm-hmm. land, but for those who are in the suburbs or for those who have a little plot of land, how simple it is just to be able to grow yeah. enough for yourself for one season. Oh, yeah. And uh, I feel like once you saw that, it also simplified your life in a sense. Because yep. you said, if I have the ability to grow my own food and the ability to build a shelter, if shit hits the fan, what else do I need? Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> you know, if the basic needs are met, you yeah. know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess let's go. Let's go a little bit deeper into the farming path. Yeah, man. So you started out in your backyard, as you stated. Uh, I was a witness to seeing your backyard transform bigger and bigger every year in in regards to more uh, vegetation and mm-hmm. more produce you were growing, and then you eventually started working on some pretty big local farms. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, yep. Like you said, I started in my backyard. I was doing my my own backyard thing for, I'd say, three years or something mm-hmm. like that. And uh, yeah, it really became it really became more and more like evident that I needed to do this for a living. And yeah. uh, something that drove me to that was. Um, you know your your invite to South America. Mm. We did that two or three month trip to yep. Peru and Ecuador mm-hmm. to do some ayahuasca in San Pedro, mm-hmm. and that was around the time where I was like, I just had broke up with my girlfriend at the time. I was just in a dark space. I was Got working a at a pizza accident. shop. Yeah, 
you know, and I was trapping still. Yeah. And I was just, like you said, we were just running along the path. We weren't on the path. And uh, I needed the wake-up call. And like you said, it was the car accident, man, that I was hit basically head-on without a seatbelt, like, like going like 60 miles an hour. And the fact that I'm still here is just a blessing. But uh, that moment was just like it's time to really get on the path, mm. you know, and that trip to South America was everything, man. It was yeah. everything, bro. Yeah. Like, I'd still tell you to this day, bro, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be alive, man. Mm. For real. Wow, and, man. um, yeah, dude, it just, when I, when I got home, when doing the ayahuasca, you know, you know the whole story. Yeah, we're gonna, I'll, let's, I'll, let's, I'll tell it. Let's I'll touch tell, base on this. Yes, yeah. for sure. Because we'll circle, circle back. You know, yeah. we, we know that, you came back and started working on these farms. Yeah. Yes. But this is like the meat of what actually led to the transformation. Yeah. You coming down to Ecuador with me mm-hmm. and meeting some of my elders and friends mm-hmm. down there and getting to sit in some some of these incredibly sacred and ceremonial spaces mm-hmm. with uh, teachers and elders who have been walking this path yeah. with such integrity for a long time now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, speak on your experiences with, with Mother Aya, man, and, yeah. and Grandfather San Pedro. Yeah. Well, so I, I think San Pedro was beautiful. Don't get me wrong. You have a way, way yeah. more special connection to the San Pedro <laughs> no than <doubt>. me. <laughs> but let's talk about the Aya because yes, the Aya was very embracing for me. And uh, there's, there's a reason why they call it Mother Ayahuasca, you know. So, well, when I drank it, first ceremony— um, the first thing I was told once it started really kicking in was was look at your hands. Look like it was telling me to look at your hands and my hands were like golden, man, golden. And it said, put your hands in the earth. Put your hands in the earth. I put my hands in the earth and it was like it was like pl- plugging the, the hard drive into the computer and just mm. getting so much information, man. And the the end all was you're supposed to be a caretaker of this earth. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was like, when you go home, when you go home to Long Island, I want you to apply at the hog farm. Mm-hmm. So that was the first big farm I started working at, right down the road from my high school, yeah. which I'm like, I'm vegan. Why would I go work at a hog farm? <laughs> you know, like, but it's an acronym for Hamlet Organic Garden. But at the time, I, you know, even through high school, we would walk through there and yeah. smoke, smoke blunts and shit. I always thought that was a hog farm, like a like a literally <laughs> yeah. like a pig farm. But it was, you know, I after that after that moment, I went on I went on I went online after the whole ceremony. The next day, I went online and I looked up, and it was a, a CSA vegetable farm. And I was like, "Holy shit! Like perfect!" And I reached out to them that day, and they were like, "Yeah, you know, we're looking for one more person this season. If it, if it works out, come for an interview when you get back home." Mm. And End, end of the story, I, I ended up getting the job and worked yeah. there for two seasons. But, uh, yeah, that trip to South that America, trip to was, South necessary. America was necessary, man. And, yeah. you know, it's what it's what brought me Gina. It's mm. what brought me Andes. Yes. It's what brought me farming full time. Mm. And it's also was around the time I dropped light. So that yeah. was a that was another part of the whole release, you know? Yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah, it was. um a very deep vision and dream of mine to have you come down. I remember, with man. Me. Yeah. Ma- Machu Picchu. Yeah. And- so I went to Machu Picchu with my brother Mateo 
um, first, a whole year prior to when we went. But as I was hiking Machu Picchu, I told Blank this story. Um, as I was hiking Machu Picchu, I picked up this one stone during the hike. And as I picked up this stone, I had a clear vision of you and I hiking Machu Picchu. And uh, I'm not someone who claims to have visions and see these things and be super clairvoyant. Like I, I'm not one of those people because it doesn't hasn't happened that many times in my life. Yeah. But every now and then I'll get a glimpse of something and not be able to make any sense of it. I wasn't sure if it was ever going to happen, especially because you had yet to travel outside of the, the tri-state US? area, basically, yeah, your whole life. Much, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you had never traveled. Um, I knew you were working, you were focused. It was going to maybe be hard to get you down there. But um, a whole year later, after that car accident and you realizing that you wanted to shift some things, it manifested. And we were mm -hmm. able to go to Peru. We hiked Machu Picchu together. We did ceremonies what a, what in, in a, Peru. What a special moment <laughs> in life, bro. Yeah. Yeah, very blessed. And many more to moment. come. You know, of course. Many more to come. I mean, we're we're sitting here in this beautiful field and this beautiful instrument. I don't even know what to call it. <laughs> but um after such a powerful summer solstice ceremony together. And um yeah. you're someone, you know, you're you're giving me a lot of love, man. So I gotta give some back. You're someone who if it wasn't for your presence, if it wasn't for your support, if it wasn't for your love and encouragement, I would have never had the courage to follow this path mm. that I'm on. I would have never had the um, clarity because there were so many other people in my life, even till this day now. You know, most, yeah, you know, I have such a huge support system, but there were most people in my life who had no idea what the hell I was doing going down to Ecuador, mm -hmm. drinking these medicines, sitting with these elders and studying these ancient traditions. And I understood though, man. Yeah. We, I mean, we were doing like all the mushroom ceremonies we've done in our like eight, 16, 17, 18, 19, all, all the mushrooms we've done. Mm -hmm. I knew what you were doing, bro. Yeah. yeah. And I, it's your, it, 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 it's, you, you're it, man. You're embracing it. Mm. Like, you ran an amazing ceremony yesterday, bro. Amazing. Mm. So thank you for, for yesterday. Thank Big you, Big time, man. man. Thank you, man. Of course. Of course. And I feel like um, everything we're discussing, from the farming to the reconnection to the land and the earth to the gritty hip-hop beats to, uh, you know, being self-sufficient to the, to the ceremonies, uh, it all ties in to this life that you and I are building currently, yeah, you know? And um, I think the biggest blessing that came out of your trip to South America was your daughter, Andes, who you named after the Andes Mountains. Um, you, you saw her coming, you know, during one of your visions, and she did come after you returned home. You found Gina, your beautiful partner, who is not far from here right now. And now you are a father, man. You are a farmer, a father, a producer, a musician. But uh, to see you in the role of being a father is such a testament to just the power of God and great spirit, oh God, man, yeah. of everything is pre-planned to a certain extent. Oh, like, yeah. It was written, And man. you just got to look at the sign. You just got to pay attention to the signs, Of man. course, of course. Yeah. How is fatherhood, man? Especially now, Andy's is almost two, right? Yeah. Um, in September, she'll September be two. September 1st, she'll be two. Um, how has fatherhood wow. been for you, man? 
I'm going to say it again. It feels very natural, bro. Like, <laughs> I don't know if it's because I'm a Pisces, old soul, bro. Mm. Like, but I just feel like a lot of things that have happened and occurred in my life, I feel like I've been there and I've done that, you know? And, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's everything I ever wanted, really, mm, being a father. Being a father. Yeah, it's everything I've ever wanted. I, I knew I wanted to be a father very young. And yeah, I you knew I wanted to, to be a young father. <laughs> yeah, you like, always I, used to say that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So she's 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 everything, bro. I mean, she's the reason why I am doing what I'm doing now and giving her the lifestyle that she needs to grow into to be a beautiful being, whatever she wants to be, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and to have a partner that's a yoga teacher and is so loving and caring and mm-hmm. another Libra, you're a Libra. I'm yeah. surrounded by all these special Libras <laughs> that yeah. keep me balanced. Yeah. Cause you know me, I could go, I can go live in the woods, bro. Yeah, like, yeah, I could yeah, go, I can go way off the deep end. Yeah. Man. But you guys keep me grounded and balanced. So mm-hmm. I appreciate you, you both of you of course man my libra family um yeah yeah andy's man andy's a, a special special little soul man yeah special little soul so much love she has the music flowing through her already man oh she's got the <laughs> like rhythm crazy. bro she's got the rhythm <laughs> yeah oh yeah she's, she's on the drums the she's on the keys she's, well, she's strumming on the guitar the other day when i was learning the drums a lot like practicing a lot she was couple months old yeah so i would be holding her in one hand and playing with the drums and sitting on my lap playing she'd she'd have the sticks i'd have some sticks and mm-hmm. we'd, we'd be playing together and yeah so kind of like my you know kind of like, i i want to be because my dad's such a big influence for me i want to be like him and just like in the aspect of just letting her flow to whatever instrument she wants to whatever path in life she wants and just to be there as support for her mm-hmm. you know yeah yeah i think you're doing a fantastic job both you and gina man thank you man and um she's just a happy healthy child and i love to see that she's eating healthy foods and you guys are uh you know the way our parents raised us uh they did their absolute best they did more than their best we were having a whole discussion Mm -hmm. last night of how we would not even be here recording this podcast or here on this beautiful land if it wasn't for the sacrifice of our parents, Mm -hmm. you know? But due to their hustle, due to the amount of time that Mm -hmm. they had to put into working, uh, we may have not always been able to receive the the healthiest nutrition. You know, sometimes it was fast food. Sometimes it was the typical American diet. Mm -hmm. And uh, to see you now have a child and consciously say, like, you know, thank God I turned out all right, but no, like my child is going to receive the highest quality nourishment mm-hmm. from this beautiful Mother Earth. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an amazing sight to see, man. I see. Um, it's so special to be like working on the, fa- the farm that I'm working at yeah. now. And she's just roaming around naked and she comes into the greenhouse, radish, radish, or whatever on the hot spinach. She calls it spintage, spintage. And I'm just like, this is just amazing, man. Yeah. You know, it's like I literally am a full-time father and a full-time farmer. And 
it wouldn't it, I wouldn't want it to be any other way, man. Yeah. I wouldn't want it to be any I other way. I truly see it as a return to the ways of of your ancestry, man. Your like our ancestry, bro. Yeah. It's cause, you know, this is you know, in regards to like anybody that wants to farm or getting get into gardening, it's like this is what we're meant to do. Some people will say, I don't have a green thumb. That is nonsense, man. It's nonsense. You have that you have it in you. Mm. All our fan, all our ancestors were farming the land. Or, we wouldn't be here if they weren't farming. No, yeah, it, it would, yeah. There's no such thing as saying, you know, a couple hundred years ago, I don't have a green thumb. No, you know? no, yeah. no. Yeah. We all have it within us. We just have to, we have to, we have to unlearn just like the technological aspect of society, which I'm grateful for. I'm grateful. We got these mics here. We got these cameras here. We're recording a podcast. We're spreading good information. Um, but it needs to be a balance. We, we can't forget where we came from, man. We can't forget where our roots are, man. And uh, I, I feel like too many people are shifting towards the technolo- te- technological ways of life and forgetting about this. And mm. I would, yeah, I would like to see more integration with the both worlds. Of course, um, which I really like. When I start my own farm and I get that get that going, I really want to like be a strong advocate for that. Getting mm. people, getting people's hands in the soil who may not have access to it. You know. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, whenever you really, you know, enter that stage of your life, I would love to see like more documentation mm-hmm. and sharing of it because you are someone who. Um, you know, I've told you this already, but now it's being brought up even more. Someone said it to me the other day again of how much they miss seeing you on social media. <laughs> because for all those listening, you know, you may go try to find uh, David to follow on Facebook or Instagram, but you're not going to find him there because he's not. Uh, the most you can do is find him on Spotify and listen to his music, <laughs> which is probably the best way to get to know him. But um, yeah, I feel like uh, that sharing <clears throat> that sharing is necessary. You yeah. know, and that's something that's a way of how we can use this technology to our advantage. Yeah. And I see that in the future, hopefully you will get to a point where you can share this information. You can show people Definitely. how to plant three sisters model. You can mm-hmm. show people you permaculture, know, permaculture, no till, no till, exactly. All these the real things, indigenous, you know? the real indigenous ways of working the land respectfully you know Mm. that's what i want to teach people of course and Um, you've learned it extensively in these short amount of years man yeah you i've seen as much as i've seen you with your hands in the soil i've also seen you with your head in a book yeah many a times when we were when you were still living at home Mm -hmm. you know reading these different farming books and Mm -hmm. you know reading about uh steiner and and biodynamics Biodynamics, and you know the link between this the sun moon and stars with you know the Harvesting of different plants. The rhythms of the earth, man. The rhythms of the earth. Yeah, you have a lot to share, man. And um, that's a whole, dude. We can go so deep into. We gotta have a farm. We gotta have a whole. Yeah, we we, we, we gotta bring Albert. We gotta bring Albert on the podcast. Farming. That would be dope. Yeah, we gotta have. (laughs) Need to have more. Yeah, that would be great to have Albert. Yeah, yeah. He know he knows a lot about all of this. Um, but I would like to share like a bit of why I'm not on Instagram anymore and Mm. why I'm not on Facebook anymore. Um, And for me, it was just like, I was constantly just like, just like flaunting my ego and flaunting my point of view and which is, which people agree with. And then you have people who don't. And it's just like, it creates just like this energy that was just like, Mm. 
not pr- productive. You know what I mean? And plus, also, I don't know if anybody knows this, but there is a there is a section in the settings where you can look how much time you spend yeah. on Instagram. <laughs> yep. Bro, I was spending two hours a day on Instagram. You add that up for the year, I'm, I was spending almost two to three months on Instagram wow. a year. Yeah, that's Bro, scary, man. So I got a daughter. I, you know, I got, I got things to learn within myself about the earth, about herbs, about the plants around me, about the trees. There's so much... This is technology. You know, this within <laughs> itself is a technology. And I want to learn this computer. I don't want to learn this computer I want, mm. or this computer. I want to look forward and and uh, learn everything I can about nature and about farming and about doing it respectfully, you know. Mm. Of course. And I think I think one day I will have an Instagram again, but it would be for like the farm. It wouldn't. Be it wouldn't be ego. me. Yeah. You know, it yeah. wouldn't be Blank Noriega anymore. It'll be the the farm. And mm. Mm. that's so beautifully said, man. Learning this technology, the technology of this planet mm-hmm. and of our essence, because. Uh, I mean, look at all the animal signs that were around us I yesterday, know. bro. Like, come on, man. The owls, the coyotes, or the cows in the field, and the woodpeckers. The wind, the the wind. wind blowing at the perfect time of a prayer. The fire spitting the moment you say something. That it, you know, it's just like, come on, man. We're living in the most advanced technology right now there's 100%. no man-made commuter, computer that'll ever beat it because you know what the computers all this stuff that we're so obsessed with these days are gonna just melt into the earth mm-hmm. the earth will find a way to to ingest of course that stuff of and course. turn it into something you know the fire in the wind and the water in the earth that not going anywhere be there, man. and, and the spirit like, within man you know it's eternal I think uh, it's exactly what you're speaking to, especially in those moments during ceremony yesterday where, uh, you know, you're offering a, a prayer to the water and, you know, the rain begins. The rain comes. Or, it's like, you're, you're, on, you're praising You're praising the essence and life-giving quality of fire and the fire crackles in a certain way where you see this response from nature mm-hmm. in collaboration with what you're doing, you know, and... I feel like everything we're discussing now is a simple reconnection. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a reconnection, man, to, yes, the highest form of technology that exists, which is nature. Mm-hmm. It's so direct and immediate. And people think that you need to go into nature to experience nature. Bro. Not knowing that you're never, <laughs> ever disconnected from nature. It's never You, know, you may mentally th- believe and have the perception that you are, but it's just, it doesn't make sense logically. It's interesting how we now, nowadays, it's like, oh, let's go to this park. It's like a museum. It's like, <laughs> let's go to this, like, let's go to this patch of wood. Like, dude, this is our life-giving mother and father sky and grandfather's son. And like, dude, they're all working in rhythm. And we are too. Mm-hmm. You know, we are too. Look up from your phone. Look at the birds. Look at the trees. Breathe. Breathe. Breathe a deep breath, you know? And like, man, 
life is one life is not scarce. The mm. idea of scarcity is just nonsense. Mm. The idea that there's people starving right now, while my the the three acre farm I'm working on right now is three acres. We're feeding two hundred families this year, yeah. and four whole four health food stores. Yeah, it's like it's it's not about how much land you have. We could every person can have 40 acres and a mule man and we could all be eating well and living a life at peace mm. you know yes yeah i think um which it, i think we're working towards we're working, we're working, towards, we're working it, towards it and uh you know there's there's an obvious and palpable shift that has been occurring for some time now and the the tides have shifted and i believe personally that there's no going back you know it may sound cheesy and, and new agey you know but it is the most appropriate language when you say we are in a new awakening mm -hmm. and uh, that the veil is thinning and mm -hmm. that people are realizing that the systems of, you know, our countries and of our societies are simply, this is a fact, not sustainable. Mm -hmm. At least everyone can agree on that, no matter what race or uh, um political party you're a part of yeah. everyone has to agree that the way we are consuming mm -hmm. is simply not sustainable and it's not like the oil fields are gonna run dry someday you know and that's why i'm leaning towards no-till farming these days because there's gonna be a time where tractors are just not mm. gonna be there yeah and if you really think back of like you know people in jamaica people in india they don't have access to no tractor bro <laughs> They're working the land by hand, yeah. you know, and so they're working the land with the future in mind. Yeah. And uh, real quick, if there's because there may be some specific farmers who tapped into this podcast and they're loving everything else we're sharing, but they may be like, I want to hear some some wisdom from from this guy. <laughs> or at least know, you know, hear what he's talking about. And for those who don't know, what is the no-till method of farming and how is it beneficial to the land and the pr produce? Uh, well, let me say this. First of all, no-till farming and permaculture isn't some white guy who figured it out, okay? <laughs> Word. They say Bill Mollison is the grandfather or the godfather of permaculture. Hmm. Come on, man. Come on. Dude, <laughs> this shit's been... This is how farming what is and always was. Yeah. And I'm talking about farming that was sustainable because... When tillage came into the as into into into, into like and what civilization, is tillage for people who don't know, so tillage is like tillage is the closest thing to a natural disaster. So mm -hmm. you're literally ripping apart the ground. Like so, you see this pasture right here. You're literally turning that ground under, mm -hmm. and you're restarting. You're restarting this this field right here, um, which has very very like horrible effects to the environment yeah um in regards to because soil holds carbon i mean every time you till a field you're releasing carbon into the atmosphere so they're blaming cars which cars do have some you know some aspect of like global warming and the greenhouse gases and all that stuff but uh you could blame tillage for a lot of mm, our problems right. these days, man. And yeah, it's not being spoken. It's yeah. not being spoke about. So you're driving. You know, you, you've probably seen it. You're driving in upstate New York or something like that, and you see 400 acres of corn. You know, that's just and they're tilling that field 
twice a year. They're spraying herbicides on that field. There's nothing sustainable about it, mm, you know? They're not building soil. They're destroying soil. Mm. So you could go back to societies like Egypt. Egypt, what at one point, was a, a lush green landscape. And the reason why places like Rome, places like Egypt collapsed was through famine because they destroyed their soil. Mm. Mm. So we are moving fast towards that. Yeah, especially in the States. Especially in the States, man. We're moving really fast towards that. They're Mm. saying we only have 60 years of topsoil left. Yeah. And they're not thinking about like changing their methods. It's just crazy. Mm. But so you, you and your farm that you're working at, and from the studies you've done, this experience of no-till uh, farming. What are the benefits that you have firsthand seen as a farmer of using this method that you say is indigenous and ancient and our original way? Mm-hmm. Because obviously we didn't have heavy-duty machinery yeah. in the past. So, one, there's life in the soil. When you till up the soil, you're not only destroying all the microbes and bacteria and earthworms in the soil, you're, you're, you're destroying every aspect of soil structure. So mm-hmm. instead of tilling the soil, we just allow the worms to do it because that's what they're there for. <laughs> they're there to yeah. eat the stuff on top and bring it to the, to, the, to, to the bottom. They're there just making channels, aerating the soil. Yeah. And if you just keep tilling that up, tilling it up, you're breaking the myoce- mycelium networks mm-hmm. in the soil. You're breaking up the, all the fungal networks in the soil. Um, so that's one aspect is that I'm, you dig into any patch of soil on that farm, there's worms there. Mm. Anywhere. Anywhere, bro. Yeah. Anywhere. So instead of tillage, we're just building the soil. So we're adding layer of compost every year. We're adding a layer of leaves every year. We're adding a layer of bark mulch or wood chips every year. And every year we're burying that weed seed bank. Mm. Which is another thing. Um, when you till, uh, you're bringing up that weed seed bank. So, like, say, say for instance, ragweed or amaranth. Those seeds can last in the ground for over a hundred years. Wow! So you could really? till you could till this wow. field, and you'll see weeds come up that have been sitting in the ground for hundreds of years. Mm. So when you don't till, we're basically we're treating the soil as if it's a part of the forest still. Mm. Why treat it any different just because there's not trees on there, you know? Mm. Wow, that's deep. So people are basically deforesting the land despite not even cutting a tree down just by ripping the soil up. Yeah. 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 So every year you're deforesting the land. Yeah. Um, So, and then (laughs) nutrient-wise in the food, I mean, the soil soil is just, it's, it's not about how much fertilizer you add to the soil. Because the fertilizer is not feeding the plant. It's not feeding the soil. I mean, I mean, sorry, it's not feeding the soil. It's feeding the plant. And so just because you put this, this synthetic nitrogen in the soil doesn't mean that it's, it's absorbing that nutrient into the plant. You get what I'm saying? Of course. And it's a synthetic version of it anyways, so it's not like your body is even going to be able to truly recognize it. it. Yeah, yeah. You know, so... It's it's a foreign substance at that point. Yeah, so we're just allowing the soil to pretty much take care of itself because 
that's what it does. Mm, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes, and especially with proper planting and companion Companion planting, planting crop rotations mm-hmm. and things like that yeah. and, and adding to the soil, giving back to the land. Mm. You know how many farms are just tilling their soil and not giving back year after year? Mm. Bro, like the Dust Bowl in the in the in the 50s or yeah, 40, 40s yeah. or 50s like that was due to tillage yeah and then you know you had the tornadoes come through and rip up all the topsoil mm. and w- they say where where we base our life off of six inches of topsoil bro and we are just destroying it day after day after day and when you're farmed like the way that i'm farming now um, you don't need a lot of land to feed a lot of people because once you get rid of like, once you start burying that weed seed bank, you can plant things closer together because mm-hmm. you don't have to worry about weeding, you know, because things on a farm is so mechanized. It's like every plant has to be a certain width apart so the machine can go through and weed and so yeah. you can weed. And when you don't have any weeds, you can plant things closer apart so you could feed more people. Mm, yes. You know? Yeah. And the nutrients in the soil don't get as drained as quickly because you're constantly adding to it. Mm. Um, you're treating it as a living organism, which it is. Or, yeah, exactly. And I think you man. hit the nail on the head saying that um, we have been conditioned to simply take Take, 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 take. And not give yep. back. And I think it circles back to the entire essence of this conversation of this process of tillage, this process of deforestation, this mm-hmm. process of adding synthetic uh, nutrients to the soil. It all comes from a consumeristic mindset. Mm-hmm. Of we need to scarcity. produce, we need to sell. Yes, this people, there's not enough. There's not enough. We need to be able to uh, make profits. Yep. And um, I think the only remedy to that is exactly what we're speaking to, a reconnection of the land and knowing that you need to give more than you take. Mm-hmm. Not just that you need to give, but that you should indeed be a steward of the land, as I've heard you say. Exactly. You know, right. Be a caretaker. Exactly. Because, yes... You know, you hear it all the time, people saying that humans are a virus to this earth and we're a plague. No. I've never, maybe when I was a teenager, I was like, oh, yeah, that sounds cool. No, we are caretakers. Yeah. To me, we are uh, servants of not only nature, Mm -hmm. but uh, people who are here to help serve all life on this planet. Because a bird can't decide to till or not to till a field that can possibly feed a hundred people. You know, humans have been gifted with this level of consciousness Mm -hmm. in which we can enact change. We can manipulate, we can manipulate the earth and, but we need to learn how to manipulate it with love and care. Mm, Not with respect. Yeah. Not, not like, like you said, not just like, give me, give me, give me, you know? Yeah. Mm. Like you think about like this pasture, right? Like the cows are eating, the cows are shitting on the pasture. They're dude, they're taking care of this pasture. <laughs> yeah. The farmer's not taking care of the pasture. Yeah. The cows are. Mm. You know? But it's like that's the thing, man. It's like we are like those animals. We just forgot. Yeah. You know? That's all it is. That's we all just it forgot, is. man. And uh like we're meant to take care of the forest. We're meant to like clear the forest so it can be better for hunting. And that's what native peoples did, man. They yeah. cleared the underbrush so 
they could see clear and shoot a deer, you know, and with, with a bow and arrow. Um, they were true caretakers of the land and not just Native Americans and all indigenous people yeah, around the world. Of course, of course. You know, that are still to this day screaming, screaming to the heavens for people to just wake up to that reality, yeah. you know? Yeah, it's a, it's a path of remembrance. That's the term I always use with, you know, the path that I'm walking the path that you're walking mm -hmm. it's a path of and they're similar paths they're i mean they're hand in hand hand in hand and like something something and... you said earlier that brought up a thought that's coming back to me now when we're speaking about how some people claim that not everyone has a green thumb even if that is true when we look at past cultures past communities mm -hmm. that's exactly what they were communities mm -hmm. everybody offered their unique gift mm -hmm. their unique skill yeah, yeah. and what felt natural to them totally. to be able to provide totally. to the tribe and yeah, not everybody was farming not everybody there was, was people farming. who some were people, hunting there some were people who were making clothes there building, were people who were building yeah, yeah exactly of course there were people we who all were have healing. our own skills yeah 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 i think it's it's i think it's just something important to note on that uh everything we're discussing it's important to understand the importance of all these individual aspects within society. The farming, the architect, the painter, mm -hmm. the shaman, mm -hmm. uh, the doctor. You know, it's important to understand all these different roles so that you can see, okay, there are many different roles. Where do I fit? Where do you fit? And let yeah. me not just force myself, as you said, you know, giving credit to your father, you know, let me not force myself or force my child to be in this role that may not be best for them, mm -hmm. you know? So as adults, even, even if we were conditioned that way as children, it's our responsibility to take the power back and sit still and get in touch with our heart and soul and mm -hmm. feel like, what do I have to offer? Mm -hmm. And if I don't know, let me do some practices that will get me back in touch, that will help totally. me remember. And whether that's ceremony, whether that's meditation, whether that's uh, surfing, basketball, whatever, something yeah. that gets you into a state of knowing, okay, I'm clear, this is what I want. Yeah. And uh, you're someone, brother, who I really think has found their path. Like, you don't even have a doubt of if what you're doing is correct for you. Mm -hmm. Like, you know it. I don't want to put words into your mouth, but we're such close brothers. I feel like you're so at home with what you're doing right now. I I, uh, I have a line in in one. I forget what song it is, but God is the writer, and I am just his pencil. You know, like mm, I remember. I'm I'm just embracing. Like I don't even really feel like I'm in control of anything. Mm. I'm just like going with it. You know, going with the flow of it. Yeah. And embracing that flow, you know. Yeah. Wise words, man. Man, let's wrap on that because I feel like that's the message that people need to hear the most, <laughs> man. Thank you so much for your life, brother. Thank you for uh, enacting this weekend. You and Gina, you know, really agreeing to want to meet with some of the family and yeah, uh, be able to receive some deep spiritual nourishment. Mm -hmm. and receive some hugs you know we're living in a time where people are scared to shake hands and hug and come on it's, man. Come <laughs> that's on. a whole other episode by itself Yo. but it's really been such a pleasure to reconnect man for and real, um, likewise man. and we we express our love for each other but i don't care man how public this platform is i want to express my love to you for everyone to see man. yeah man and i hope people can see that 
when two brothers, when two sisters, when two friends, uh, when a mother and father or father and daughter come together and really are there to support one another, mm -hmm. it really helps guys the limit the bro. entire community, man. The sky is the limit. That is correct. For bro. real, man. So thank you for coming on to Masters of Ceremony, man. Thank you for and, having me, man. I'm really proud of you mm -hmm. and your path as well, man. Mm -hmm. You're 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 uh, you're killing it, man. Killing thank you, it. Bro. You're holding the torch, man. <laughs> you're my best, man. While I'm, in the, while I'm on the country, while oh, I'm man. on the countryside, we're you're doing holding it, together, it down, bro. bro. We're holding down two sides of the same bridge. Yeah. Man. So much love, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. Peace. Peace. Peace, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you enjoyed this show and want to learn more about David Noriega, you won't find him on social media as stated in the podcast, but you can listen to his music found under his artist name, Blank Noriega on Spotify, iTunes, all streaming services. And we really appreciate you guys tuning in. If you enjoyed this show, please take a moment to subscribe, leave a review, send to your mom, your uncle, your brother, your sister, someone who you think would enjoy this episode or some of the other episodes. And let's continue to build a beautiful community out of Masters of Ceremony. Thank you guys so much for all the support and love I've received thus far with this show. And I hope to see you again next week. Peace.